This is Blockbuster Film School. This is Blockbuster Film School. For as long as I can remember, I always wanted to be a Blockbuster Film School. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome in. It is time. You have arrived. You are here at the the precise moment that you absolutely should be. Because we are doing episode two. Attack of the Clones. For Mr. Martin Scorsese. That's right. It's me, Alex Bonner. Joined by... Nikki two times. Two Nick, times. Two times. <laughs> That's true. My real name... Oh, it's hard to admit this on on microphone, but my real name is Johnny Roast Beef. And I am very aroused right now. <laughs> very aroused right now. <laughs> and when I burn a place down, a, like a Hawaiian shirt wearing cabana bar, I do it fun. I do it like a Christmas tree when I put my gasoline soaked yeah. rags into it. You know, I like to take my time. Hey, everybody. Obviously, you're here. Hopefully, you listened to the last episode. Get you up to speed of 70s, 80s, addicted to cocaine, Martin Scorsese. But now, we're coming into it. We're coming into Masterclass, Martin Scorsese. I mean, obviously, look, Taxi Driver is dope. Raging Bull is dope. Mean Streets is pretty rad. But 90s Scorsese, that's, I don't know. It's the White Album. sure. The 91 Bulls, they're good. Are they the 1996 I, Bulls? I like Norwegian Wood a lot better than the White Album. <laughs> Jesus Christ. We can make a ton of weird analogies <laughs> if we want. But 90 Scorsese, in my mind, we'll get into this. Yeah. It's hard to quantify because there's so many different times. He is kind of the David Bowie of cinema auteurs. I kind of like Brian Eno better than David Bowie. <laughs> Brian cut this while I beat his ass. Uh, <laughs> Brian gave me right at the studio. Oh, dare I think you we're say fine. that. It's me, the ghost of David Bowie. I've been eating peppers and milk for three years. I'm full of cocaine rage. Anyway, David, I apologize if uh, we end up in the same. His weird... ghost is not listening to this. He doesn't care. No, he doesn't. <laughs> He He's recording his own podcast with like Princess <laughs> Diana or something. God, I want to listen to that podcast. All right, we're going to change formats, everybody, where Nick is going to be David Bowie and I'll be Princess Diana. I am. It's right. She's very cockney in this. So let's get into it because we're going to have to talk about a certain movie that came out in the 90s. The Best Picture winner for 1990 was bullshit when I looked it up because AFI ranked it as like the 94th best movie of all time. And I'm sorry. I understand that you guys love Breakfast at Tiffany's and shit, but Goodfellas is fucking elite. Before he died, great saint of Chicago, as well as two great fucking knights of Chicago, both Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel, Both, when they saw it, called it the greatest gangster film of all time. That's some pretty high fucking praise for a genre that has also been around as long as the genre, which we'll get into with Goodfellas, because there is a ton of references to old silent film, uh, D.W. Griffith, Murnau, gangster films. But what was the first time you saw Goodfellas? Oh, man. I don't know. Goodfellas is kind of like the sun and the stars <laughs> and grass. Always- <laughs> it's just always been there. It has always been. It's always been a part of me. <laughs> I feel like I had a VHS copy before the film came out. I don't want to like get Nick, too. Nick is taking his clothes off and is covering himself in clay right now. <laughs> this is this is also part of my Marlon Brando performance. No, it had to be on HBO. Yeah, it had to be on HBO. I know the exact moment the first time I saw it, mm. where I caught it because I didn't catch it from the beginning. I remember sitting there going, oh, that's the guy from Jurassic Park. And then, oh, that's the guy from Home Alone. And then he just fucking caps him in the back oh. of the head. I was like, whoa. Well, and then I watched from there. And HBO did that thing where, like, a few hours later, they would replay a movie. So I stayed up really late as a child. I mean, 
we talked about this before. I've been up for 48 yeah, hours straight. I, yeah, I stayed up till 6 a.m. Yeah. Last, I do it every, yeah. I do it every day. <laughs> but uh, I've been hooked to Goodfellas since the moment I saw it. Yeah, I, same. I think I told the story on the last episode, so I won't tell it all the way, but basically my parents just said, hey, you fucking little wieners, like, it's time. It's time for you to stop being as wienery and let me and my brother watch Goodfellas, and we rented it, and I remember the giant old faux wood encased television zenith that we had, and I remember the VCR that was also a zenith because we were brand loyal to Chicago-based stuff, and and I remember just losing myself in that movie, and something that I think Scorsese does better than anybody is this ability to, just like you said, jar you with the violence, make the violence really something that you weren't expecting, but also you can't take your eyes away from. And that movie obviously starts with the line, as long as I can remember, I wanted to be a gangster. But really it starts with them driving and they hear a knock. It starts with the end of the second act or the beginning or kind of midway through the second act. But the inciting incident happens. This is... I'm all over the place because good breath, Alex. Deep breath. Goodfellas is mayhem. But when they pop that hood open and Joe Pesci just starts stabbing a guy with a big giant kitchen knife that he got from his mother. Yes. And he's like, you motherfucker, you motherfucker. Like doing only this thing that only Pesci can do where he kind of talks like a clown. Yeah. But is horrifying. All clowns are horrifying. I understand that. And in that moment, I think Alex from childhood disappeared into the ether when Pesci starts stabbing Billy Bats. Just, fuck you, you stupid motherfucker. And I was hooked. So just tell me some of your general thoughts on Goodfellas because I love Nick talking about Goodfellas in general. Just just random bullshit that... Until Wolf of Wall Street, this is his greatest comedy. Uh, yes. Without a doubt. Yes. I will oh, remember. Yes. Good call. I will remember just randomly just the guy gets what he gets like stabbed in the hand or shot in the hand. He's bleeding all over. And then young Henry Hill gets all those aprons and the cops come and yeah. take him in the ambulance. And his boss at the pizza Tootie. place. Tootie. <laughs> you know what? We got to toughen you up, Henry. You're a real <laughs> jerk. You wasted all those aprons on that guy. <laughs> I can't believe this kid. Like. So true. <laughs> it's oh, and then Paul, just um, Paul Sorvino. Paul Sorvino is basically like un- the first half of that movie mm. is comedic gold, especially mm. just like when he's sitting there eating that sausage and somebody comes up to him and says something. It's like the the wire. It is. It's but it's just literally one backyard. It's. I'll put it this way: the, the crazy thing about Goodfellas, a little bit as I process it through a film history lens. There have been tons of gangster films. There have been tons of that kind of thing, but a lot of them were the. A, from the cops' perspective, of chasing them down, the gangsters. And maybe you had Howard Hawks that allowed a little bit to those gangster characters, and maybe you had a little bit of that kind of um, James Cagney movies where, you know, but it's still very, it's just guys and dames, and, you know, you have a little bit of Humphrey Bogart smoking cigarettes, but this This is is a child. And this is the tail end of the golden age of American mafia in America. Told from a lens, which I think the thing that Scorsese does better than anybody is that it's real. It feels real. Don't get me wrong. I have a lot of directors who are not of our world. When you watch their movies, Kubrick is not our world all the way. No. Like Terry Gilliam is definitely not our world. And I love their movies. But He's a dimension of this world. But Scorsese's world feels like our world. Like a little, you know what I'm saying? Like, And you say to yourself, if I grew up. By that cab stand, I might want to work at that cab stand. Absolutely. And I might take a beating to work at the cab stand. I might fucking be this kid. I might become Henry Hill. I mean, it's... After that, we never had a lot of love for oh that school. Oh, my God. That... In fact, the mail stops showing up all together. My mother had to go down there and complain. The first act of Goodfellas is the coolest fantasy you could have. Yeah, like, it is. You, you just... You get in with a bunch of guys who protect you you make money by slapping people around and ripping people off and laughing at cops faces and then you get to bang elaine brocco <laughs> like at, you get to marry elaine brocco you know what i'm saying yeah at you the, get to have elaine brocco pull a gun on you while you're sleeping dude the scene i know this is there's gonna be a ton of spoiler alert. if you've never seen good okay if you've never seen good fellas and you're listening to this what is wrong with you 
Let's pull the keyboard cleaner out of your mouth for a second and stop huffing that, okay? I feel personally attacked by this. You know about my addictions from the past. I'm walking out in sunshine. But the save the cat moment for Henry Hill a little bit is that he, you know, he helps people sometimes. But his girlfriend, who would become his wife, calls him and tells him that a guy who gave her a ride home in the country club, this dildo who lives across the street from her, basically put his hands on her and got nuts with it. So... The weird say the cat moment of the whole thing is that Henry Hill gets his call from Karen and that this guy who is introduced in the movie to him. And I just have to say the weirdest handshake I've ever seen. Oh God, he crosses his arms yeah. and sort of leans away from the guy and yeah. shakes his hand. I want to do that to people now all the time. I know. And she- I wanted to uh, do I wanted to like reenact it right now with brain but i feel like it would be disrespectful <laughs> yes. super producer brain taps is here as well yeah he pref- <laughs> sorry brian <laughs> check out the big brain on taps <laughs> all i'm just saying the sequence in which henry hill comes back to her house gets out of his car walks across the street the guy says what do you want fuck like what and, do you want fucko yeah and then he just beats pistol him. Pistol whips him without mercy. Doesn't even pistol whip him. Like, pistol slaps him while holding his hair, just breaking his yeah. nose over. Also, that thing, I don't know how... Scorsese's violence is at a level of Star Wars quality of, like, special effects. You know what I'm yes. saying? Just how they did that so that as he hits this guy's nose, it appears to disintegrate and get bloodier and crazier. It never cuts away. Yeah. And You watch it, and then he fucking... Ray Liotta freaks out and says, I swear on my mother, if you touch her again, I'll fucking kill you. And then just pulls up and points the gun at the other. Don't shoot me. Don't shoot shoot me. And I was like, I want to do that to every fucking dildo fucking bully who ever messed with me in high school. I'm sorry. I just was like, God, I wish I could. I was like, this is the coolest (laughs) thing ever. And. Welcome to Alex Bonner's Revenge Fantasy School. (laughs) It was way less Columbine-y and way more Henry Hill. It was way more, I had a cool brown 70s belt set combo (laughs) that went above my belly button that I tucked my gun into. It had a whole thing. I was dating Elaine Brock. It was great. Let's go back, though, for a minute. Yeah. So, like you said, the inciting incident of the movie, that's the first scene. Correct. Fucking Pesci just going full, like, Napoleon, just like... Fucking kill you, fucking kill you. <laughs> and then you got De Niro, who's Holy Jimmy. Yes. And then he just fires. Well, De Niro's the, in this movie? De Niro, spoiler alert, De Niro works with Scorsese a lot. Mm-hmm. And then he's the one who kills him. We get the line about always wanting to be a gangster. You go to the flashback as a kid, you watch him grow up. Yeah. But there's that scene where he gets busted selling cigarettes with young Joe Pesci, right? Mm-hmm. Which also. I don't know where they found that guy, but yeah. that guy looks the same age as Joe Pesci, but just younger. I feel like that may it's have been insane. a clone of yeah. Pesci that they just disintegrated after his scenes. So he gets busted, and he's in the court, mm-hmm. and they obviously bribe him. And he's, the judge is like, counselor, approach the bench. And mm-hmm. then he goes outside. Everybody's there, and they're fucking having a big thing. Yeah. It's like, you broke your cherry. Yes. And he goes to Jimmy. He's like, I thought you'd be mad. He goes, of course I'm not mad. You didn't rat out your friends. Yeah. And that's the most important thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's something ridiculous, too. Like, the two rules are like, Never ran out your friends and always keep your mouth shut. Yeah. <laughs> like, and that just so many weird little mantras in this movie, you know, the sometimes you got to take a beating, you know, it's yeah. like, and just this first act of it makes you elated. It makes you want to be a gangster. It makes you want to be a gangster more than any gangster movie I've ever seen. It makes you immersed in a world more than any sci-fi movie I've ever seen. You know all of these damn characters. You know what's going on. You know the schemes now. Yeah. You become a gangster like me. You are a racketeer on my own booking business that now I am a well-known wise guy in the city of Chicago, and I'm definitely not going to get whacked. Anyways... But I'll put it this way, a little bit of an overhang thing, and we can have plenty of notes on Goodfellas, but it goes with Scorsese had kind of been figuring it out. He had other gangster movies. He had other 
kind of true life movies. He had played with all of these other tropes with all of these other things like voiceover. The stuff he does with voiceover in this movie is amazing. Yeah, the multiple voiceovers is great. God, when Karen just suddenly is, has her own voiceover, you, it's jarring. I, all of my friends, they would have freaked out. Oh. Their boyfriend gave him a gun. I'm also, not going to lie. Ka- it kind of turned me on. Karen Hill is one of the coolest characters in cinema. I'm not yeah. going to make it. She's a badass. She's she, his partner. It's She, she is, is a fucking gangster and she does not get enough credit for that. I, I would make the argument that maybe, like, you're right. She doesn't get enough credit, but I think about that character a lot. Whenever you're writing things, whenever you're thinking of how characters work, all this stuff, the the scenes where her she freaks out at him in jail yeah. and starts pulling all the shit out of her jacket because his mistress came to see him. And Henry Hill is a terrible character. Like, a lot of... It has all this Scorsese thing, like, Henry Hill has kind of a heart of gold. There's this amazing scene where Scorsese pans across this sort of crew of murderers and all of them are just kind of listening to this beautiful song at a concert and all of them are just kind of listening to it. And then it gets to Henry Hill and he's tearing up. He's crying, listening to this song. And there's this weird little Scorsese touches that this character has a heart and these other ones do not, but he is still a scumbag. Yeah. He's still a gangster. I mean, he never killed anybody though. That's his whole thing. That's what he says. But that's also based on the book that he wrote. He was like, yeah, I never killed anyone. So uh, here, here's the crazy thing. Yes. The book was written by Nicholas Pileggi, right? Mm-hmm. It's a wise guy. Correct. Based on Henry Hill's life. Right. Quote unquote, Henry Hill. Quote unquote, Henry Hill's yeah. life. Yes. Who also, this guy is such an asshole. When everybody else died from the outfit he was a part of, he just was like, ah, fuck it. I can't get a good sandwich anymore. Like in the end of the movie. Yeah. And just lived the last 18 years of his life not in fucking witness protection. Because what are they going to do now? Yeah, nobody cares. But My Blue Heaven, mm-hmm. starring Rick Moranis and Steve Martin. Yes. And also Joan Cusack. Correct. Joan Cusack's great. Wait for our, Joan C- wait for our Cusack episode. That's Anyways. Dope. We should um, we combine them. Yeah. We should be careful because they made 900 movies, the two of them. <laughs> We're not going to talk about anything. We should do just Jode, and then we could do John. We could do both. Yeah. Anyway. But Nora Ephron wrote that movie and directed it based on Henry Hill's life after Witness Protection because she was married to Nicholas Pileggi at the time. Holy shit, that's fucking fascinating. My Blue Heaven is a sequel to Goodfellas. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense. I mean, that's kind of the character. It's not that I believe in tipping. I I believe in over-tipping. Oh, God, that's so interesting. Like you said, though, with that a little bit, this movie is kind of about the beginning of the end for the golden age of gangsters in America. You know, the murder that they commit. I'll put it this way. The end of the first act is he's gotten married. Him and his wife love each other. He is doing great, robbing the shit out of people and yeah. paying money back to Polly. It literally ends with him handing money to his wife and then she blows him in their kitchen, right? And then it cuts. Also in this movie, literally the act breaks are broken by Scorsese, something we didn't talk about that much in the last one, with awesome fucking pop music, amazing fucking pop music, particularly of the element where it's this Phil Spector wall of sound Motown stuff, right? And it breaks into Frosty the Snowman, which is but is this huge wall of sound, and they're suddenly at that bar, and Billy Batts is there. And this is the end of their golden age, because, spoiler alert, that's the beginning sequence. Joe Pesci and Robert De Niro murder a made guy, and then everything falls apart. And not only does everything fall apart, but then they have to go to jail and they get fucking into cocaine. And every Scorsese goes through the whole goddamn world in these huge broad strokes. And you just watch it all. Also, when they're in jail, and they're getting delivered lobsters yeah. and medium rare. What are you, an aristocrat? Yeah. The, <laughs> the, that the mafia... Oh, the garlic so thin it dissolves uh, in the oil? And the, they're compla- There's still people who do that. They, that's true. Yeah. They're in jail. They're complaining about the sauce. They live in, like, their own little weird... Like, it's a little sweet, but yeah. it's all right. They basically have to live in, like, a uh, like a dorm suite, like an art college, you know? It, that's... Fucking Henry runs in. Also, can we just say, Ray Liotta has never yes. been as good no, since. Never. Ray Liotta no. is magnificent in yes. this. He will always be such an asshole. He will always be Henry Hill. The last act of this movie, when he's driving around, Mm -hmm. fucking coked out of his mind, and it's just Mm -hmm. that one long day, Mm -hmm. 
That is the best acting he's ever done in his life. There's, like, he's just fucking driving around looking at helicopters while they play Jump Into the Fire. The sequence where Paul Sorvino is like, well, I don't know anything about fucking restaurants. Yeah. What, do you know anything about fucking restaurants? And I know this is a podcast, but Ray Liotta just kind of pulls out a cigarette and shrugs. Yeah. And he, but shrugs in this way where he's like, yeah, I know, I know yeah. everything. I know everything about fucking restaurants. Just these things, these like, these little touches. This Scorsese, is, he's becoming in control. He's becoming now, Goodfellas, he had all these cool ideas, he had all these cool movies, but they were chaotic, and they didn't, some of it didn't work, some of it worked, some of it is, you know, don't get me wrong, Raging Bull, Taxi Driver, these are classics, but they feel a little frayed. They feel loose. Yes. And this, everything is tight. The band has come together. Every piece. This is, to use, you like the music uh, metaphors a lot. This is Led Zeppelin performing Stairway to Heaven for the first time live. Agreed. And re- this is four. This is Zoso. This is when they finally really become them. They're not just, ra- you know, like... Just ripping off black guys? Or just ripping off riffs of other bands. And just this is when they prove that they're like Led Zeppelin. And this is when Scorsese makes the best gangster movie of all time. Yeah. He makes it. It's clean. It's perfect. The ending is great. The middle is, everything is, everything's great about it. If you watch it and don't like it, you're a piece of shit. And you should fucking, I'm sorry. You should punch yourself in the face. I, that's, that's it. Thanks for listening tonight. <laughs> <laughs> I, it is the first one for me though, of the Scorsese movies where if it comes on television, I'm like, oh no, it's like a tractor beam in the way where you're stuck. I have to watch this. I have to watch all of it now. Yeah. I have to watch all of it now. It's on TV. Like There was one night when you and I were living at the Shark Shack. Yeah. I came home. I finished, I think, my third double in a row, and you had it on. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to bed. I was like, uh, I'll wait for the tons of heist. <laughs> and the next thing I know, he's standing in front of his lawn complaining about fucking not getting a good sandwich. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marina- can't get marinara sauce. Yeah, send you fucking macaroni with ketchup. All right. Well, look, we'll continue to talk about Goodfellas. We'll continue to talk about it. It's it won Best Picture. It got nominated for no, it didn't. It won two Best Pictures in a row. <laughs> I think it only won for. I'm, uh... just, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. It lost to Dances with Wolves, as always, um, yeah. as you always do. Scorsese earned his best, his third Best Director nomination. Did not win, obviously. But the only person to win was Tommy Joe Joe Pesci, and to be fair, he deserved it. Yeah, I know. Was, uh, Joe Pesci steals the entire movie. He is the character. As much as Ray Liotta is amazing, as much as Bracco is amazing, as much as De Niro is amazing, and Sorvino and all of these characters, the character that ever, who do people remember from Goodfellas? What are the Mike Star? <laughs> Am I a clown? Do I amuse you? Like, Hendry, it is, like, you killed him. He's dead. I'm a good shot. It's not my fault. I'm yeah. a good shot. Like, the... the this vo- motherfucker's hovering over me. <laughs> you, you son of a bitch. I'll fucking kill you. This version of violence, this version of a character, yeah. nobody had ever seen this. No one had put this, I will make the argument a little bit on the Pesci character. No one had made, like you said, this weird Napoleon complex maniac character who is both lovable and terrifying, yeah. bat, like in equal parts. Within he, a line of dialogue. Yes. He can go from like the coolest guy in the movie yes. to, oh shit, he's going to kill him. Yes. Him, the scene where his mother, who is Scorsese's real life mother, are oh, I love that scene are so hanging much. out. Ma, I've why did you sell that? I sell down every night, Ma, with a nice girl. His foot, like, his yeah. foot, yes. you know the the hoof, right. the hoof. Have you seen my painting? Yeah. I like I like that the two dogs. One dog goes that way, and the other dog goes that way. Like this, the weird dynamics of the movie. It's adorable, it's but a, that's also that's the thing. I just came from the south side before we recorded. Right. That's every Italian man with his mother. That's weird. You haven't said any racial slurs. You just came from the South Side of Chicago. I don't know how to react to that. <laughs> but, um, real but, fast before we leave. Yes, before, before we because yeah, I mean we can talk. We can talk about it for a little bit. We can talk about it as long so as you I want. Say two things, real yeah, fast. Two it. things. First of all, last week this motherfucker asked me to christen his kid. I'll do it for seventy two hundred dollars. And uh, second thing is, we need to talk about the most jerked off to tracking shots mm. in Scorsese history. Just Ooh. him going through 
the fucking club. Oh. When he takes Lorraine out on the dates and he meets everybody, he's tipping everybody, yeah. giving out fifty dollars open yes. the door. Like that shot is he amazing. There it are is two, so gorgeous. Two great continuous shots in that movie. A bunch of continuous shots. Yeah. There's one at the beginning. There's, we introduce all the gangsters. Yes, but you're absolutely right. The one where he finally goes on the date with Karen yeah. and the Copa. The Copa, and they see it's Benny Youngman. Yeah. It's the greatest Benny Youngman movie of all time. Take my wife, please. Yes. <laughs> Guy goes to the doctor. The doctor says, You have six months to live. Guy says, I can't pay my bill. Doctor gives him another six months. <laughs> um, the. That shot, they follow through the kitchen. Yeah. There's tons of act. It's based directly on an F.W. Murnau silent film shot and also the Touch of Evil opening shot. Yeah. But it is kind of this weird for filmmakers, when you really nerd out all the way, if you want to hit a grand slam, you know, of a baseball analogy, if you want to prove to the other filmmakers in the big leagues that you can do something badass, you make yourself a continuous crazy-ass shot where lots of shit is going on. Oh, my God. It looks like it could fall apart at any moment. There's a part where Ray Liotta bumps into a thing, and it's yeah. like, ah! Like, it doesn't break. just keeps yeah. going, and it's amazing. It is one of the best ever. You were talking earlier about how you can feel this, this world, this mm-hmm. gangster world, right? Mm-hmm. That scene, like, there's movement everywhere. The entire Copa, you can see yes. it breathing in and out. It's amazing. It's its own creature, that shot. And if you've ever worked in a restaurant or any sort of workplace, that feel of like you go they through. They nailed it. And like you go through it. It's like, oh, I know this guy. Like, hey, man, hey, what's up? And other people. And you know the move. And, oh, you're bringing somebody who's never been there before. So like, what the fuck is happening yeah. down here? It's like, <laughs> it's good. It's good. I know. I know what we're doing. Get a room, you two. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. And we'll continue to talk yeah. about. Yeah, yeah. It's why we're doing three parts, because <laughs> I just knew when we got to Goodfellas that it would have to be effusive. There's so much that there will be maybe a Goodfellas episode where we could break it down scene by scene. We could go super deep dive on. It's interesting that Irvin, Wink, Irvin our- Winkler, who produced, took a shot coming back to Scorsese when he was down and out and was like coked out of his mind. And De Niro literally convinced him. He was a big New York producer. And De Niro was like, no, Scorsese is the man. We need to make Raging Bull. And he took a shot on him and it worked and it paid off. And Winkler came back and made this. Was like, you do it. You do it now. You make this fucking real gangster movie all the way across with Hollywood money, with Hollywood people. And... It is beyond a cinematic masterpiece. It's a cinematic masterpiece. It truly is. It is a piece that should live forever. It is It is amazing. And you shouldn't punch yourself in the face. You should go out and watch it. Obviously, it will be out of the blockbuster wall, but you should watch Goodfellas. After this, he doesn't know what to do afterwards. There's some cool stuff. Actually, he made a really cool short movie called Made in Milan, which you've never seen it, which is about Giorgio Armani, which is very cool and is worth watching. But it's it's just a short film. And it's pretty cool. But the following year after, he makes a movie called Cape Fear. Nick, have you seen Cape Fear? (laughs) 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 Whenever I smoke my cigar at a movie theater, people are just like, you need to leave. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm, yes, you're correct. You are correct. Also, think about how creepy De Niro has to be in this movie Mm -hmm. to make Nick Nolte seem like a level-headed character. Very fair. Very true. Yeah. Also, I always think of, I've seen that movie, I've seen that movie twice, but whenever someone says Cape Fear, I immediately think about Sideshow Bob and that episode of The Simpsons where he... (laughs) 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 Because to be fair, it's basically the same. Oh, yeah. It is almost beat for beat the same thing. I'm going to go out on a limb. I'm going to say something controversial. (laughs) Yeah. I think Sideshow Bob did it better. (laughs) I think so, too. I think so, too. Who I, wants to drive through the cactus field? She <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> does the entire Pirates of Penzance. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, oh, it's so good. Also, Juliette Lewis as, like, a child in it, but she is awesome. I'm just going to say things that's, that I remember from Cape Fear, that Robert De Niro is wearing a Hawaiian shirt. Yeah. And is supposed to be terrifying to me, but I am not terrified. Because he's wearing a Hawaiian shirt. I don't know why that yeah. is. I'm sorry. To once again quote The Simpsons, only two types of people wear Hawaiian shirts. Ew. Big fat party animals and gay dudes. Yes. And he's neither of those. No. 
And I like that that's the John Waters episode. Oh, yeah. Where John Waters has a Hawaiian shirt on. But it's based on, obviously, kind of a Cape Fear movie. A Cape Fear movie. There was a 1960... (laughs) Jesus Christ. There was a 1962 movie that Alfred Hitchcock produced called Cape Fear, which was the same story with Robert Beecher. Robert Beecher is in this movie because of how big a nerd Scorsese is. Oh, yeah. And it is about a lawyer who put a murderer away. The murderer believes he didn't do it. He totally did it because he's an asshole. But he gets out and wants to then fuck with the lawyer who put him away, who's Nick Nolte and his family. And he lives on a houseboat Yeah, for some reason. <laughs> and De Niro is mad about it. He's got to get you. I just have to say this. I love Scorsese. But he swings so hard. Baseball analogy again. He swings so hard to knock that ball out of the entire fucking stadium. And when you swing that hard, you sometimes strike. <laughs> you know what? Also, I feel like with this, he's mm-hmm. just like, how do you follow up Goodfellas? No matter what, it's a failure. Right. So he's right. just like, you know what movie I love? Mm. I want to make this movie. Yeah. And he just like has fun with it because that's the only fucking thing that makes any sense in my mind. I will agree with that. And also that he, I notice maybe a little bit of a pattern where he says, I made a period piece, which Goodfellas is definitely kind of a period piece. Yeah. And at the time in the 90s, and I'm sure a bunch of producers were agreeing with him, this was very modern thriller area, you know, the early 90s, you know, basic instinct disclosure, these kind of nastier, sexier, mean thriller movies that aren't quite horror movies, but they're thrillers. And he wanted to make something more modern. He wanted to make something that was happening right now. That does explain the scene where Nick Nolte uncrosses his legs and crosses them, and mm-hmm. you see all his junk on the bottom vagina. of his chest. Yes, yeah. yeah, that's true. That was confusing. That and was... even, like, his penis is screaming. It's got... <laughs> You're going to run off that hill. <laughs> You're going to take the hill. You're going to do it right now. <laughs> K-Fear received a mixed critical reception and was lambasted in many quarters for its scenes depicting misogynistic violence. However, the lurid subject matter gave Scorsese a chance to experiment with visual tricks. It also earned 80 million bucks. It is technically his third most commercially successful film, more so than Goodfellas, because America is dumb. Wait a minute. How much money did Goodfellas make? Did it make all this money on video? Yeah. I mean, I don't think it made 80 million bucks. That's crazy. I I really don't. I mean, I believe it. But it was a big hit. So it literally, until the aviator and the... Goodfellas made $46 million. That's what I'm saying. What and a bunch of bullshit. Until The Aviator and The Departed and Wolf of Wall Street, he wouldn't break $100 million. He's not Spielberg. That's not that's not Scorsese's bag. He is America's best auteur director. He is truly the guy who backwards and forwards knows film history. He understands. Actually, Casino made $116 million. God damn it. I'm trying to... <laughs> Sorry. I'm just going through because it doesn't make any fucking sense. I know. The Goodfellas only made 46 million. You know what does make sense? Bring Out the Dead only made 16. Yeah, well, but yeah. it's so good. We'll get into this, though. I but know. Bring yeah. Out Your Dead, though, is something that I actually like, but it was too ahead of its time. It was too much. They weren't for ready both for both of it. us, admittedly. It's like if music analogy, it's like if you put out a Strokes record in, like, the 1930s. People <laughs> What is, what is this? And they're like, no one would understand. They wouldn't get it. They weren't ready for it. Um, but there would be some hipster asshole in the 30s right. going, oh, yeah. this was so much better when the Velvet Underground yeah. wrote this album. <laughs> Where's your time machine, you witch? <laughs> um, so it wasn't a bomb, though. It's often regarded as lambasted as critically one of his worst movies. Yeah. And honestly... When it comes on, I have no problem not watching it. Yeah, I mean, I've seen it. <laughs> yeah, I've seen it. I've seen it twice. You said way more things than I remember about the movie. Exactly. This is one of those movies where, I, like, I was either doing homework or talking to people or just, like, I don't know, doing anything else. Mm-hmm. But it is one of the first ones he has where he's really nerding out. He has power and money, and yeah. he's such a nerd of film history, and he says, this is, there's almost an element where these movies like Disclosure, basic instinct stuff are coming out, and he says this movie already came out. Yeah, it was called Kid Fear. It came out in 1962, and I'll prove it to you. And they were like, "You nerd, yeah. chill out, will you relax?" Um, like he was personally offended by Joel Esserhaus. <laughs> yeah. I'll teach you a lesson, Paul Verhoeven. Yeah, what is your problem? That's Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> okay, so after that though, 
he makes Nick's favorite movie of all time, The Age of Innocence. Hey. Uh. It is based on an Edith Wharton novel about the high society of late 19th century New York. Me and Nick were talking about this. It has Daniel Day-Lewis in it. It has Winona Ryder. It has people I love. Yeah, Michelle Pfeiffer. It has tons of awesome people in it. It has Martin Scorsese. It comes in, and it does something I love too, which is period pieces, particularly about things like New York and Chicago and L.A. I don't know why. I like period pieces about American cities. And it's basically like he understood several things and then would come back with Gangs of New York and actually make them work, kind of as though he did with Mean Streets and things like that. But the element is that the Age of Innocence is boring. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I've tried. I have tried to watch it. I've tried to watch the the video. I tried to watch it on like USA when it was on yes. there. Like maybe it would be easier with commercials. I could do things. I could flip back and forth. We talked about this before we started. I'm just gonna go ahead and right. skip. <laughs> it's I'm sorry. I, the only thing I'd say is that beginning shot that establishes a New York that does not look like the New York now. It has that element where there's there's literally like spaces that don't have houses or buildings yeah. and all this smoke rising because everything is fireplaces. There's almost a little plant in his head and your head that a better movie will come if Scorsese will. He is such a period master in the sense of time period. However, he understands the ability to immerse people into a time period that is not our own. And whether or not that is actually how it went, you still are there. Like the scene in Goodfellas where there is the lady who is the crossing guard and she is taking the cigarettes and she is dressed like a crossing guard from the 1960s and you just are there. You accept that's how they look. Because because she's dressed like a crossing guard from the day. She loved Red Stripe. Yeah, it's Not Red Stripe. uh, Lucky Strike. Lucky Strike. But it's this element where Scorsese has this very nice touch of the human where he immerses you into the world, particularly the past, just that your world and that world is not that different but it's just a little different. And people used to dress different. They used to talk different. But, okay, so skip. Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. It was a huge bomb. It was a yeah. huge, it was a massive failure. It honestly put him up against the wall. He then makes a movie called Casino. Mm. Where... It takes place in Atlantic City. Right. <laughs> it is a movie that is kind of now about Chicago gangsters even though they use the code term Kansas City. Yeah, because those guys are still alive, hiding in Cicero. <laughs> well, Anthony the Ant Spilatro was a real guy. Joey the Claw Lombardo, still yeah. alive. One of the supervillains of the Superbacks, hanging out with Terry Nichols over in the middle of nowhere in Colorado, and Ted Kaczynski. Um, so Casino is closer. I know Henry Hill's world is real, but Casino is about how the Chicago mob built Las Vegas and were so dangerous that they ate themselves. Yeah. And I love Casino. I love the first VHS tape of Casino. Mm. I love the last 45 minutes of the second VHS (laughs) tape of Casino. (laughs) This movie is three hours long. It is very long. It drags a little bit, Mm -hmm. but also it's a fucking great movie. Right. Yeah. I like that it's a little bit of a dig at, like, The Godfather Part Two. Yeah. Where... Scorsese kind of says, that's not how any of that went. No. That's a bunch of bullshit. And that Casino takes place much in that same way where the world at large did not know what was going on in 1950s, 60s, 70s, 80s New York mafia scene. The world really had never seen someone kind of break down Las Vegas and how it worked in terms of organized crime. There had been The Godfather Part Two, but that was... I'm not bashing on it, but it's very operatic, very grandiose, broad Very, strokes. some might say, Francis Ford Coppola-esque. Yes, yes, which is his style, which also, like I said, is not like our yeah. world. It is, no. when he's on, it's a weird world. It is different than our world. This is that a person like Joe Pesci's character could show up and actually cause mayhem and actually take over. And I think the problem it had when it came out was that it got immediately compared to Goodfellas. Absolutely. It was five years later. You could, there right. was no way you could avoid it. It was this weird thing where even Scorsese 
wanted to make the movie, but he even said he wanted to wait a while before he made it. Yeah. But they basically said the Age of Innocence failed so hard, dude. And you're riding so high, man. Please, please make another album that sounded like the first album. Yeah. The second album was crap. Please, you have Pesci. You have De Niro. To make a movie with them. And, and I think it got sort of falsely accused of being the exact same kind of thing just because Pesci's oh, character yeah. has a touch of Tommy. But, but he's De Niro's un- character is so wildly different. So wildly different. And also Pesci's character is completely unlikable. You love Tommy. No, that's not true. I'm sorry. I don't like him in this. I don't like his character in this. I think his acting is great. Right. Yes. He is definitely still playing an unbridled sociopath, but it has a little more of a complexity to it a little bit. He has his kids. He has this weird other side of his life. He's in love with Sharon Stone. Sharon Stone is the linchpin of this whole movie. Sharon Stone does her best performance she ever did in this movie. Outside of Catwoman. <laughs> yes, correct. What, what, what Catwoman are we talking about? With the one with Halle Berry. Oh, oh she's the she, villain. Oh, yes, she's the bad guy yeah. in Catwoman. <laughs> I was just letting everyone know. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. but Ta- uh, Brain over here gave me a very weird look. <laughs> also, Alex Bornstein is the hilarious Dennis Miller character in Catwoman. A movie that everyone loves. I don't remember that at all. Oh, yes. Her best friend, her hilarious comedy friend is Alex Bornstein yeah. of Mad TV and um, Family The Nile's not just a river in Egypt, okay? Bep. Uh, bep. <laughs> <laughs> Sharon Stone is the linchpin of the whole movie. The whole reason that everything goes up and goes down and falls apart and explodes and follows is because of Sharon Stone's character. Yeah. This is a common trope in Scorsese movies in which she has this very powerful, very complex female characters, but they are surrounded by male characters. And this is not any different. Ginger, right? Yeah. Yes. And she's Sharon Stone. I mean, I get it. She's amazingly hot. Also, that she still hangs out with her weird pimp boyfriend, James Woods. God damn it. Who is a libertarian douchebag, and he actually is that. It's crazy. There are parts of Casino. I will also say, I'm just going to say this right now, Casino is number two on my list of if it comes on television, and I'm I'm like, oh, no. Oh, no. Okay. It's the scene where Pesci basically starts banging Sharon Stone, even though she's married to Robert De Niro, who runs this casino. And and it's heartbreaking. It's it's bizarre. Heart. It's it's bizarre. It's bizarre. It's truly it's weird bizarre. to watch. It's very weird. And she's it, like a foot taller than him. I know. Also, there's not a lot of violence in the first act of that movie. There's not a lot of violence kind of throughout the movie until the end, in which yeah. there is some of the most violent shit that has ever happened in cinema, where Joe Pesci puts a guy's head in a vice and pops his eyeball out. And then the guy says, Joey M. And he says, you fucking let me pop your eyeball out for Joey fucking M. Which messed with my head as a kid when I saw it, where somehow the violence in Casino is somehow more tragic. Like, they're all fucked, you know? The gangsters in Goodfellas are all kind of fucking with each other. They're all screwing around and murdering each other, and they're wolves who at any moment could wolf out on each other. In Casino, there's this life, there's this society, and there's a couple of them who've gone fucking rogue. And needless to say, in the end, Robert De Niro basically has to sell out his best friend from back home, which is Pesci, and you have to watch Pesci die in, I would say, the most brutal Maybe the most brutal scene I've in the history of cinema. Nah. I'm sorry, dude. It's brutal. <laughs> Having to watch your brother get beaten to death in a cornfield, and then you then get beaten to death with bats in a cornfield, and then they throw your dead bodies on top of each other, and you're still kind of alive, still sort of breathing when they bury you to death. And in that way where Scorsese never flinches, never looks away, he just he just shows you this. You just watch it. It blows I'd like to mind. point you to the direction of the first scene of Face Off. Yeah, but shoot. Okay, look. Who doesn't want to shoot a kid in the park? Okay, who's not constantly saying like, "Man, that kid's annoying as fuck." And those are the rails that we are <laughs> off of it. The best parts of Casino to me, yeah, are because like he is such a nerd. He mm-hmm. is such a history buff, and they really break everything down. So like, this is the problem. The first half of that movie, 
they are constantly explaining things in yes. great detail. Yes. And in a great speed, the song keeps changing every time they go from like the pit boss to the mm-hmm. casino boss to the guy watching the camera to the guy in the count room. There's a different fucking song. Mm-hmm. When you watch the guys do the cheat and they're just winning too well and they break his fucking hand with the um, rubber mallet or whatever yeah. the fuck. Yeah. Like everything is fast, fast, fast. He meets Ginger, still going fast, but slows down a little bit. But like when he becomes like the TV personality and becomes the weird fight about his license and all this shit. And, like, the whole thing is he could have just been cool with (laughs) Joe Bob Briggs from TNT. (laughs) Also, (laughs) how... (laughs) Sorry, that's good. Yeah. How fucking 90s did Scorsese get? Yes. The guy who introduced the monster movies on TNT. Which he definitely watches. Absolutely. (laughs) It's like, let's get him in here. They show the same 10 movies Every scene, like, anyways. In all of his movies, he's always showing old movies. Yeah. He's always showing old stuff. Something we didn't bring up at Goodfellas, the absolute end, like, image you see at the end of Goodfellas is Pesci pointing a gun at the screen and shooting it, which doesn't make any sense unless you understand D.W. Griffith's The Great Train Robbery, in which, at the end, a cowboy points a gun at the screen and shoots it. Just to button the movie, for no apparent reason. And also, there's... That he's a cowboy. He keeps referencing it. He's a yeah. crazy psycho cowboy from D.W. Griffith's The Great Train Robbery. And in this, though, like you just said, I agree with all of that. But Casino's truly one of those ones. Do you like Martin Scorsese's documentaries? Do you like his documentaries a lot? Then sometimes his movies where he gets really bloated in this plot because he's basically explaining casinos to you at the time. He's explaining culture to you at the time. He's going in detail. He's showing you the whole thing. And if you like that, it's dope. If you don't like it, it's super boring and it goes on for fucking ever. I understand. And it's, I think, an element of personal taste. And I... I'm not bashing. That I agree with of like, do you like Scorsese's kind of in his narrative movies teaching you something and if you don't enjoy it you just well the 45 minutes of the movie i don't like he doesn't teach anything it's just (laughs) him it's just de niro getting on tv and picking up fight with people but that's so crazy first of all he loves putting de niro as a talk show host in his movies he just genuinely enjoys it you can't stop him i'm sure producers have tried yeah todd phillips likes a lot too agree well like stealing it but the element, I think, also with Casino is that, like you were saying with Goodfellas, Casino's not as funny. It's not a comedy in the way that Goodfellas is secretly a comedy. There isn't this... When Scorsese's really on, his best dramas, his best action movies, his best whatever you want to call them, have this really deep, deep-seated, awesome comedy to them. And Casino has some moments, but it's not. It's not like Goodfellas. It doesn't have that. It doesn't have that sort of wild, unbridled, laughing in the mayhem thing. Scorsese maybe is the only director I've ever seen who has characters laugh on screen and you laugh with them. That is the hardest fucking thing to pull off. The hardest thing. Because if characters laugh on screen and the audience doesn't laugh, your movie is dead. All of your suspension of disbelief is broken. And now you're just watching a bunch of actors on a screen. Obviously, we'll keep bouncing back to Casino. But there's an element where... I would say also with the history of Casino, also with the history of Goodfellas, kind of what we were talking about, that no, maybe in my opinion, there might not be a director in terms of history who puts in more homework than Martin Scorsese. That he, regardless of whether you like the movie, on a personal level, you can't deny that he is putting in just so much detail and so much complexity based on his understanding of like we were talking about, the period, the history, the characters, and sometimes it's just boring. It's boring as shit. I don't know. <laughs> it's just some boring as shit. But I like Casino. But also, after Casino, Scorsese found time for a four-hour documentary in 1995 titled, now, this is very humble, A Personal Journey with Martin Scorsese Through American Movies. Uh, <laughs> The original title was, hey, I'm Marty Scorsese. These are movies I'm yeah. like, you're stupid. You don't know about them. <laughs> Have you ever seen that documentary? No. <laughs> I watched it. Co- okay. The big thing that comes out of it is that Scorsese has four rules as being an auteur director, which I genuinely love these, and they have haunted me my entire life. And it's crazy that he understands them so well. Number one, 
The director is a storyteller. Martin Scorsese is a storyteller. All of his characters are storytellers. It is a never-ending story that is being told. Number two, the director as illusionist, coming from D.W. Griffith, coming from Murnau, coming from Malaise, that none of that shit on screen is real. You are creating something that people are perceiving as real. Number three, the director as smuggler, and this is what we're talking about, secretly putting ideas in your head, secretly putting history in your mind, secretly you... You just think you're watching a gangster movie, but it's teaching you things as smuggler. And number four, the director as iconoclast, which I've always found fascinating that he understood this and always has said this to himself, that the director has to portray themselves as being important. I am Martin Scorsese. This is my movie. And that matters to the overall concept of you watching it. After Casino, which has mixed results, Sharon Stone gets nominated for Best Supporting Actress. Probably should have won. She did not. But it didn't get nominated for that much. But it's also a three-hour movie that made $110 million. I know, because it's almost like people didn't go see Goodfellas in the movie theater. And then it got, and they were like, oh, shit. And then we all rented it, including my parents, and said to ourselves, what the, f- huh, huh? And then Age of Innocence, no one heard of. And then Casino came out. And then... Everyone went to see Casino, and a lot of people said, huh. And I would say this, Casino grows on you. It truly does. The more you watch Casino, the more you realize how skillful it is as a movie, how much is in it. Every time you watch it, there's something new. Every time there's a different storyline that you didn't notice before. The thing with Don Rickles, there's so much crazy shit in it. It truly, there's so many offshoots. It's like an RPG of a movie. It's crazy. I will say this, though. Mm -hmm. This is Don Rickles' second best performance after Dirty Work. (laughs) Everybody's going to be sick of saying. Hello, ice cream. Can you hear me in there? Yeah, you were yelling his belly. (laughs) So after this, he makes another of Nick's favorites. Kundan. 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 About Tenzigetso, the 14th Dalai Lama. May he always be praised. This is where we talk a little bit about how Scorsese, I think, sometimes likes to make these very meditative, poetic art house movies that are. You either like them or you don't. And do you like Kundan? I've never watched it all the way through without falling asleep. <laughs> Maybe that's the point, Nick. Maybe they're yeah. they sort of hypnotize you and you just sort of fall asleep. And then you wake up and you say to yourself, you know what? I'm going to stop murdering homeless people. Don't say that too much. <laughs> what did you think of it? There are scenes that are about meditation. Yeah. It's interesting. I have this feeling as though David Lynch may have gotten to him around this point and had like a really long conversation where, and because Scorsese loves iconoclasts and he loves other auteur directors, may have said to himself, I would like to make a movie about history and meditation. And he made this movie. And I don't know if you could call it boring, but it is not exciting. I don't know. (laughs) No, it's not. It is not. Um, I like what Ebert said about it. It's like... yes. There's no plot. It's just scenes and, like, Mm -hmm. stories, but there's no plot at all. It does go with his love of religious leaders. It does go with his love of weird, ecstatic magic that may exist within our own minds. But it is not that great. Our last movie for the 1990s for Mr. Martin Scorsese is actually one that me and Nick sort of agree upon, though. I think it's a return to form. Have we not agreed on the all these movies? Oh no, we've we've agreed. We've agreed. I think I like Casino more than you, but I don't think that's necessarily a disagreement all the way. It is bringing out your dead. Bring, excuse me, bringing out the dead, starring a man that we have in our archives an entire episode about, Mister Faceoff himself, Nicholas Coppola Cage, and. Nick, what do you think about Bring It Out the Dead? I think it's one of the best ghost stories I've ever seen. Oh, God damn. Good call. It is. I love how spooky it is. I love that Scorsese said, fuck it. 
and secretly inside of himself wanted to make a totally magical realism movie. I, Robert Brisson, who's a French director who made a lot of weird sort of spooky movies like this, and I absolutely 100%. When I rented it from Blockbuster Video as a kid, I didn't dislike it, but I didn't know what the fuck I was watching. Same thing. I saw it on Showtime. Yes. And I was like, well, it's still Scorsese, but I don't like, eh, okay. I don't, yes. And then you watched it mm-hmm. last year. Yes. Like this, this year, maybe. Yes. I don't fucking yes. remember. I think yes. it was this year. And you told me to watch it. I watched it for our Nicolas Cage episode. So did I. I watched it after we recorded Nick Cage and um, blew me the fuck away. So much of that story in that movie would not understand as yeah. some like fucking asshole 13 year old kid. Yes. Uh, no, this came out in 99. So I was a 17 year old asshole Just, kid. Right. It's still, it's super 90s, but now that it's not the 90s, that's just sort of like crazy manic energy and just like New York as a pulse and just fucking yes. like unstoppable. Yes. It's insane. And everyone in it is insane and crazy in their own way. And it's gorgeous and it's beautiful and it's wonderful. Mark Anthony steals that whole movie. Yeah. And that, like exactly what you said, if you want to know what manic city energy was going on in the 90s, whatever that vortex was, bringing out the dead, it's there. And that element, when you're in the 90s, when you're here, you're watching it, you're saying to yourself, yeah, what, what is it? Now it's crazy to watch it, now removed by 20 years. You say to yourself, holy shit, Scorsese was taking a Polaroid yeah. of the world and how it perceived itself and how it had already these contexts of magical realism within itself and you knew these weirdos who were semi-street people who would just appear in your life and then disappear and reappear and... It's such a blast wave of a movie. It truly is. Tom Sizemore is John amazing. Goodman, John Goodman. Nick Rames. God, it's so... Patricia fucking Arquette. It's so good. It's so crazy. And it's kind of where a lot of his characters have been angels of death in movies. Now he has these characters who are trying to save people, which is a very much so a departure for him. Yeah. And when they're trying to save people, it's this interesting Scorsese flip where... Now you get to watch his true white hat good guys, kind of, and it's very jarring and very different how he sees people being good because it has a touch of that sort of, that Catholicism that's in all of his stuff where it's about sacrifice and martyrism and eating it no matter how bad it tastes. And if you've never seen Bring Out the Dead, it's about ambulance drivers in New York in the 90s when New York was not just run by Citibank and oligarchs and was not the cleanest place in the world, was scary still. And it's the last Scorsese New York that you can go looking for. Because mm-hmm. after this, New York's not the same as Scorsese movies. I've always gone looking for Scorsese's New York. Scorsese. Every time I go to New York, I look for it. And then the last one you could look for is bringing out the dead. Because after that, it's, there's nothing left. As this is going to be recorded before I see it, I wonder if that is kind of what the Irishman is about. But also, I feel like that is why he left New York in his movies. He left them on purpose. Like, it is pre-9-11, but also, I just feel like that culture that Scorsese finds interesting... There is no modern New York movie for Scorsese, unless I would watch it if he made it, but it's interesting he makes a, coming up, and we'll talk about it in the next episode, a semi-modern Boston movie, and he goes back and makes an 80s New York movie, and he makes, in my opinion, one of my favorite movies, a 1850s New York movie, but he does not go back to New York of that moment that he lives in now since. The super, like, nerdy Scorsese hard in your sleeve way to look at this movie is like his attempt to like preserve New York as it was and save it for right. what it was. And like, cause all that stuff that's right. there, it's all getting pushed away mm-hmm. and it's all becoming fucking city bikes and all that shit. It's kind of what the movie's about a little bit. It has a touch of that understanding that this world is collapsing upon itself. And this is the last you're going to see of it. And Apparently, Nicolas Cage and Scorsese really liked working with each other, and it was such a disappointment to them that the movie wasn't critically or financially a big success. And because I wonder if there was this moment where he kind of saw him as what eventually DiCaprio would become 
and what De Niro kind of was, and it just failed so hard that they had to kind of part ways. Yeah. And I find that so, if that world had made sense, you know, it would be interesting. Obviously, I like the DiCaprio, Scorsese stuff that will be episode three almost exclusively. <laughs> but around this time, though, is when De Niro works on This Boy's Life with DiCaprio, and De Niro tells Scorsese, though, dude, you got to know this kid. You got to find this kid. And according to legend, Scorsese around this time watched, you know, a few minutes of What's He to Gilbert Grape and thought it was a documentary and thought it was real. And then he saw Johnny Depp and said to himself, holy shit, who is this fucking weird kid doing this character? Because I got to say it's jarring. It genuinely is jarring. I don't know. I don't want to. There's a term that Robert Downey uses. <laughs> In Tropic Thunder, okay? About going full something. And and DiCaprio goes full something in what's eating Gilbert Grape. And is maybe the only person to ever pull it off in the history of cinema? I don't know. I haven't seen it in a while. He didn't. <laughs> well, we got through 90s Scorsese. Nick is done. Nick is done. He's over. He's Nick is slowly slowly disappearing into the ether like Marty McFly's brother in that photograph in Back to the Future. Are we out of this podcast? I, I, I love you. You are truly my partner in crime. The three of you. Fucking super the producer. three of you. The, the are th you seeing double? I, I'm, Take away his claw. All right. Speaking of three, yes. Alex, yes. what's number three on your blockbuster wall? It's time for the blockbuster film school wall. <laughs> Number three on my blockbuster wall of Scorsese movies in the <coughs> 90s would be Bringing Out the Dead. I think it's electric. I, I've i watched it two times since I talked to you. You kind of can't take your eyes off it now, especially... I understand there's a little bit of a caveat. Maybe if you grew up in the suburbs, you'll still be like, what the fuck? And you never went to a city in the 90s. You'd just say, this didn't happen. This is nonsense. I'm telling you it did. It's fucking insane. <laughs> it's so spooky. I sometimes have dreams about what Chicago was like in the 90s, and it kind of is one of those dreams. It kind of is a little bit like that. What's your number three, Nick? Uh, my number three is Casino. Ooh. Yeah. There are parts of that that I will randomly think about throughout my life more than I do about my number two, but there's just... Um, it's a great fucking film. It's it is. just... I like these other two movies better. Interesting. I like the scene at the very end when De Niro has the giant Coke bottle oh glasses God. on and he takes them off and then sets them down and then just is the king of the casino. I'm not entirely yeah. sure what was happening there. Well, at that point, he was just back to uh, being a, <laughs> taking bets, right? Yeah, right. He went back to just being him. Yeah. And I like De Niro's character. De Niro's character in that movie is also kind of fascinating. He is very complex and very weird. And Sharon Stone was too hot for you, bro. That is literally a problem. Just for everyone in that movie. Also, if someone is banging James Woods, don't bang them. There, I said that. That's a rule. That is a straight up fucking rule. I'm going to say my number two, because he didn't make that many movies in the 90s. And I think we have the same number one. So, Age of Innocence. Yes. My number two is Casino. There, I'm saying it. Casino yeah. is dope. I, I like it. I dig it. I watch the shit out of it. I've. I could watch like a little bit of it. Oh, I suppose that's an element too. I could watch like 30 minutes of it and just be like, hmm, and then turn it off and go do something else. I'm assuming we have the same number one. Well, my number two is first. It's yes. Bring Out the Dead. Oh, I like that. Oh, it flip. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I dig. I, I dig it. I yeah. Visually, I think it's just mesmerizing. There's this shot where like you watch the ambulance drive past the mm. camera and then the camera flips and you watch. It's just... It's such a simple technique that's been done in a bunch of movies, but when Scorsese does it in this, it's saying so much, and it's so goddamn gorgeous. It's just, it's an amazing shot, and the whole movie, the visuals just, like, steal away from the actors at some point. I agree. It's perfect. I, it was too ahead of its time. So much of that movie is now in other movies, truly. It now, a lot of those, just as you said, those crazy shots, those crazy visuals, the way that it works... 
once you get into like as a Casper Noe and stuff who are now just running around doing that. And now it's become part of the mainstream doing that. It's in fucking Marvel movies now doing that. But in 1999, no one was doing that. And it was jarring and it was confusing. And much like anybody doing groundbreaking shit, that was, it was just too much. And I think that's also something we'll get it. We'll continue it all three of our episodes to just effusively say that Scorsese literally is always, doing shit that will eventually be ripped off. And maybe now if you're born in like 2008, then you would just not know how influential Goodfellas is. You know what I'm saying? You wouldn't know how influential Taxi Driver is because everyone just does that. Everyone rips it off now. It's now an iconoclast (laughs) trope of cinema. And Scorsese has completed his mission to genuinely put his mark on cinema so that it will never go away now. I think that was honestly his always his mission, like D.W. Griffith or like all these silent film directors that he idolized, was they literally created just simple editing techniques that everyone uses now and no one remembers, but these guys fucking just came up with it, came up with it out of the fucking ether, and he has done stuff in his movies that is just ripped off by everyone. And with that, a movie that is ripped off by everyone, what's your number one, Nick? Goodfellas, what's your number one? It's fucking Goodfellas. I think Goodfellas is, in my blockbuster wall, this is the 90s is the high mark. This is the high mark for 90s cinema, in my fucking opinion. As much as I love other directors in the 90s, this is above Pulp Fiction. I'm sorry. This is above Space Jam. This is above... (laughs) This is above Star Wars Episode One. This is... I'm trying to... What's... What's a big? What's another big '90s movie that you're just fucking? The, the '90s Groundhog movie. Day. Groundhog. This, ah, ooh, yes, it's above Groundhog Day. Groundhog Day is up there though of '90s cinema. El Mariachi. I, the Faculty. Jesus Christ. Yes. From Dust Till Dawn. <laughs> you're just listening off Robert Rodriguez movies. Now. Desperado. <laughs> Halloween H2O. Uh, <laughs> eh, this is above Jurassic Park. I, I'm sorry, it is. Yeah. Goodfellas. As much as I love Jurassic Park, as much as that's a different type of achievement. Goodfellas, in a way, is a perfectly executed movie. And we've only had a few American filmmakers ever pull that off. And this is one of them. He did it. He fucking did it. He pulled off a fucking perfect movie. Son of a bitch, you did it. You son of a fucking bitch. And you know what? I think we did it. Nicholas, I think we did it. We did do it. And Brian, super producer Brian Taps, brain. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, brain. I'm sorry. My phone always autocorrects to Brian. You are crushing it. And you're overly handsome, and it is upsetting. It's upsetting to everybody. You walk down the street, people are like, God damn it. God damn it. You guy's too handsome. I love all of you. I want you to drive your cars real fast. I want you to take drugs. I want you to do whatever the fuck you want, because civilization is collapsing. We'll be back in one week. Nick, you going to be back next week? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe go fuck yourself. I'm sick. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I love you guys, and we will see you next week for Scorsese DiCaprio.